Okay, turn with me to Judges chapter 6 tonight, if you would please. Judges chapter 6. Israel's enemies were physical. Ours are not. The weapons used against Israel were physical. They were carnal, fleshly weapons, but not ours. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, he said, For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, who God is, what God has done, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And the preaching of the gospel is the power of God to destroy the strongholds of Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, principles against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6.12. And Israel's battles was against wicked people, but our battles are against wicked spirits. Israel's battles were against fleshly opponents. Ours are against supernatural adversaries. Israel's foes were against those who outwardly hated God. But our enemies uh, are lies and pride and lust and covetousness and self-righteousness within us. And in hearing the gospel, it's revealed to us that, the, that repentance is the gift of God. There's no sinner that's ever repented of their sin that God didn't give them or bid them that repentance. It's God's gift to us, repentance is. And the gospel teaches us that faith is the gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. If we have faith at all, it's God's gift to us. We can't brag about our faith. A lot of folks do. Oh, he's a man of great faith. Well, if he is, God gave him the faith. And the gospel teaches us that eternal life is a gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life's a gift. And through the preaching of the gospel, it's revealed that salvation is the work of God in us, through and by and for the glory of our Lord and Savior. And all that we do, everything that we do is in response to what God has done in us and for us. Not for God to save us, but because God has saved us. And yet our warfare is no less real than Israel's was. If anything, it's more difficult to fight an enemy you cannot see. And this is the reason why we must walk by faith and not by sight. We don't fight against a physical opponent. We fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
And again, that's why we study these Old Testament scriptures. They were written for our learning to teach us something about us, about our sin, our idolatry, and our disobedience that we, through Paul said, patience and comfort of the scriptures. Do you find comfort in the scriptures? Well, I do. I do. And uh, I know you do too. But it's through the patience and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. That is hope in seeing that God is who again and again and again delivers us from our enemies. I find comfort in knowing that if God was continually gracious and merciful to Israel of old, who are pictures of you and I, the believer today, that we too can have hope that God will be the same to us. And that's why we see over and over again, that's why God recorded these things in the Scriptures. When I begin to study for this study tonight, this lesson tonight, chapter 6, I looked at the first verse, and it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So we see again tonight that that's the pat- this pattern is repeated over and over again with Israel, but sadly it also is with us. We cannot not sin. And I know folks think, well, that's a cute little saying, we cannot not sin. It's the truth. We cannot not sin. But there's no excuse for it. No excuse for our sin. Paul asked in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And, of course, the answer was an emphatic, emphatic no. God forbid. In and of ourselves, we're dead in sin, but with Christ as our substitute, we are dead to sin. And... My question is, how can men and women actually think or believe that if we're justified by the grace of God and that alone, apart from any works of our own, that God's grace abounds and is glorified when we continue to sin? Sin of itself is not the cause of glorifying God's grace. Uh, sin's the cause of wrath and judgment and eternal condemnation, not grace. And God's been pleased to magnify His grace in the pardon of sin. God is glorified in His unmerited favor to us found in Christ alone. It's not by the committing of sin that grace is glorified, but by the forgiveness of sin. And grace is glorified by putting a stop to the reign of sin in our hearts, not by encouraging it. Brother Mahan once said, grace enables men to hate sin and to be done with sin, not to love and pursue it. And I've heard professing believers excuse their willful sin by saying things like, well, we're just sinners, and sin's what sinners do. That's a sad excuse to continue in sin, thinking that in doing so, the grace abounds. A believer hates their sin. That's why Job said, I abhor myself. Uh, they, they, we feel guilt over our sin. 
We want it gone. I want my sin gone. And we've said it many times, we're not dead to sin's influence. Paul said, what I hate, that do I, and the good that I would do, I don't do. (laughs) The evil that I would do not, that I do. That's the influence that sin causes in us. And we're not dead to sin's presence. Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. So we're not uh, excluded from sin's presence. And we're not dead to sin's effects. Paul went on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, the effect of sin is seen in our wretchedness, our inability to stop sinning. (laughs) But we're dead to sin's penalty and guilt. And we're dead to sin as our master that rules over us. And we're dead to sin as a course of life. And we see, by God's grace, that sin is not our friend, but our enemy. How can anyone with this attitude toward sin actually live in sin? You see, to live in sin is to give ourselves to it. To live in sin is to find pleasure and delight in our sin. There was a time that was the case with me. To live in sin is to justify sin, which is contrary to the Spirit of Christ and to be just like the world. The beloved John wrote this. He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, again tonight, we see the pattern of Israel of old. As we have so far in the study of Judges, we saw it in Joshua 2. Joshua died. The people of Israel fell into idolatry and unbelief. God sent the enemy to oppress and afflict them. Israel cried out unto the Lord for help. God sent them a deliverer. He sent them a savior, a judge. They are delivered and are so for a period of time. And the judge is removed by death. And the pattern begins over and over again. Is that not our story? Christ, our Joshua, came to save us and deliver us. He died to put our sin away. We bow to Him as our substitute and our Savior. But very soon, and we're all guilty of it, we make idols out of everything and worship them. And the Lord sends us trouble and the Lord sends us tribulations. And we cry unto the Lord for deliverance and He sends us the Holy Spirit to deliver us. (laughs) We experience peace and rest for a while. And then the pattern starts all over again. Will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? It's so wearisome to see the people of God follow the same pattern over and over again, but it's even... And that's the people of Israel in our studies. But it's even more wearisome to me and discouraging to me when we ourselves fall into this pattern ourselves again and again. And as we see these redundancies, may God enable us to embrace these Old Testament lessons and pray 
that we ourselves learn from them. That's the reason for they were written for our learning. Israel had experienced 40 years of peace, the longest that they had in the time of the judges, when this ugly pattern started again. Yet in Christ, we experience continual peace by His shed blood, but yet on the other hand, that old man within wars against our knowledge of the, this peace, Continually, so that it's with much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. And you remember that old song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden? And that's what a lot of people promise. Oh, you become a Christian. You, you, you become, you fall in love with Jesus and your life will be a bed of roses. No, no, that's not, the scriptures don't teach that. They say with much tribulation, with much trouble we enter into the kingdom of God. Don't expect anything but trouble. But the wonderful thing is, is that God is with us every step of the way. And God continually sends us help and, and shows us again that we're shut up to Christ. There's no salvation apart from Him. May God be pleased to teach us that Christ, our Deliverer, our Judge, our Savior is our only help. And may He also be pleased to make us forsake the pathetic efforts of our flesh. And that's what they are. And flee to Christ more quickly than we do. Why do we always wait till we just can't bear it anymore to run to Christ? Lord, enable me to stay close. <laughs> stay close. Now these stories of Israel's uh, sin reminds us that the grace and mercy of God is abundant and long-suffering to stiff-necked and rebellious people. We look at Israel and we see ourselves. These Old Testament patterns teach us that we are always in need of Christ, our Savior. Now, that's something that I've seen. I'm thankful for that lesson. I've titled this message, Here We Go Again. Here We Go Again. Okay, Judges chapter 6, verse 1 again. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Someone once asked, once asked or once said, excuse me, that the definition of insanity is to repeat the same mistake over and over and over again and expect a different result. <laughs> well, that is insane, isn't it? For seven years, the Midianites invaded, attacked, and inflicted Israel. And as I said a moment ago, the Midianites came from without, and our Midianites come from within. That's the difference. The Midianites made war with Israel in a different way than Israel's other enemies did. The Midianites were not an organized army. They were uh, nomads. They, uh, they didn't come to subdue, subdue Israel and rule over them. They were a nomadic people who lived southeast of where Israel lived on the other side of Jordan. And they didn't come and ex exact tribute or or taxes from Israel, for seven years they would make returning visits during the growing season 
and during the time of harvest, and they would take Israel's crops from them, just steal their crops. And they'd steal Israel's herds of livestock. And when that had, when they had taken and consumed all they could get their hands on, they, they moved on, leaving Israel without much and in dire straits. I look at verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Malachites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou came unto Gaza, come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. They, they stripped their garden dry, their crops dry, and then they took their, their sheep and their ox and their asses and their camels and everything else. And verse 5, well, they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers. That word is locust. Have you ever seen what locusts can do to a crop? Oh, in just a matter of minutes, it seems like. They can just consume the whole thing. They came as grasshoppers, locusts for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, under this Midianite domination for seven years, things had gotten as bad for Israel as they probably had ever been. And they cried again unto the Lord for help. Why do we wait to, to that point in time to call upon the Lord? God did not immediately raise up a judge to deliver them as he had before. Instead, this time, God sent a prophet to rebuke them. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. This was God's message to them. That's all a prophet does. He delivers God's message. That's all a preacher does. Delivers God's message. It's not his message. It's God's message. Or it better be. And this was God's message to them. He said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I, God, delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you. And I drove them out or drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And that's why they were in this trouble again. Now this unnamed prophet was not Israel's judge or deliverer. That would be Gideon, who is not yet introduced to us. In the next study, we'll see something of Gideon. But this prophet, this unnamed prophet, is sent to remind Israel that God was their ultimate deliverer. 
That's what a preacher does. We point men to Christ, Jesus Christ, God the Son, and we say, this is your deliverer. This is the one that delivers you out of bondage. This is the one who delivers you from all your oppression. This is the one who delivers you from your sin. He is your deliverer. There is none other. God's the one who gave Joshua and Israel victory over all that uh, they drove out of, of the land of Canaan. And the first thing we need to strive to understand is that when we speak of Israel, they don't represent unbelievers. Though they displayed much unbelief, they picture and typify the believer. And their attitude and character is a very proper and true reflection of ours. Many times I've read the account of Israel's actions, and my first response is to shake my head and go, how could they do this over and over again? And then I realize it's the same concerning myself. How could I over and over again act this way, be so unbelieving, untrusting, looking to everything other than Christ? <laughs> you know, was there really any difference in Paul's cry of, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death, and the destitute cry of the Israelites unto the Lord for deliverance? No. No, they cried out over the same thing. Their wretchedness, their sinfulness. For the most part, Israel was no different from the Midianites and the Malachites and the Jebusites or any of their enemies. Time and time again, they fell into idolatry, worshiping the same gods of their enemies. Their enemies would rule over them, they would be in servitude to them, and they would just pick right up with them and, and worship the same idols and Little G-gods that they did. Yet, they were the chosen people of the true God and they differed only because of their election. Only because God chose them. Only because they were God's chosen people. And may we always remember that the Midianites along with all the other enemies of Israel were simply instruments in the hand of God. That's all they were. Yet these enemies, they, they were ruthless. They were ungodly idolaters. But their wrath praised God, did God's bidding, and the remainder of their ruthlessness, God restrained. That's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 76.10. Surely the wrath of man will praise God. Praise thee. Men's wrath praise the Lord. And the remainder of wrath, He restrains. You see, God's in control. He's in control of our enemies. <laughs> He's in control of everything. Yes, and as we saw in verse 2, the assaults of the Midianites were so great, the people of Israel, well, they fled to the mountains and they hid in caves. Some believe that they planted secret gardens so that the Midianites wouldn't find out about them. And, and steal them. They, they may plant one down here knowing that the Midianites would come and, and take it and then up, up in the mountain somewhere plant another crop hoping that the Midianites would be too busy taking the one crop to, so that they'd have one themselves left. I have no doubt about that. 
That's what I'd do. <laughs> oh, my. But the Midianites, they laid in wait until harvest time, and then it descended, as we said, upon Israel like a plague of locusts, according to verse 5. Israel tend their gardens at night, hoping not to be seen. And friends, our enemies are the same. They endeavor to steal our food and our sustenance, which is the Word of God. And they leave us without any fruit or nourishment. Or that's their desire to, to do. Oftentimes when the seed is sowed, uh, some of it falls by the wayside, as the Lord told us in the parable of the sower and the seed. And the fowls came and devoured it up. That's what the Midianites did. No doubt much of the seed of God's word fell by the wayside when it concerned Israel and it was lapped up by the locust of Midian. But our Lord said in John chapter 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. And that's what Satan, that's his, that's his main occupation, to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Lord said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it, life more abundantly you know when Israel served idols and gods they uh, they could not they could not save they were simply depending upon themselves anytime we make an idol we're just basically making ourselves that idol we know the idol can't save uh, idolatry requires the work and merit of men and our biggest idol is often ourselves we make many things our gods, but mainly we make ourselves out to be our own God and Savior. And that's why I have great difficulty when men credit their salvation to their will, their work, their way, their doing, their works. It's simply making themselves their own Savior and their own God, their own deliverer. And like the Israelites... We, by nature, labor in our depraved hearts under the cover of darkness, just like Israel did, with hopes of saving ourselves. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men did what? They loved darkness rather than light. That's our problem. By nature, we love darkness rather than light. And why do we do that? He tells us, because our deeds are evil. Oh, I know that's not a popular message, but it's the truth. We are by nature evil. Our deliverance only comes when God reveals to us that there's nothing left but God, <laughs> who is plenteous in mercy, whose ear is always inclined to the cries of His people. And when we are delivered, the Lord sends His word as we saw in verse 8. He sent a prophet God this time sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, and that prophet preached unto them. And thank God that he sends preachers. I'm thankful that God crossed my path with a preacher. With words of God's faithful deliverance in Christ. It's not the preacher who's important. This prophet's not even named. We don't even know who he is. God would cause, God can cause stones to cry out for him. Yes, you remember when the Lord said God's able to raise these stones up to worship him? Well, God can do the same with preaching. Yes, 
Preachers are expendable. That's what Paul said. Who's Paul? <laughs> You're over here saying, oh, I like the way Paul preaches, and I sure like the way Apollos does things, and Peter's our man. Who are these men? But ministers, preachers, by whom you believe. They were just mouthpieces, just voices that God used to speak to your heart. It's their message that's important, not them. It's not, thus saith man, is it? No, it's thus saith the Lord. And I encourage you, and I have, since I've been your pastor, don't put me up on a pedestal because I'll let you down. Preachers are but voices crying in the wilderness, but reporters reporting what God has done for sinners in Christ. A gospel message is found here in verses 8 and 9. The prophet of God speaks of a finished work. The preacher of God speaks of an accomplished salvation. God said, I brought, already brought you. I delivered, past tense. Not I'm going to deliver, I delivered you. I drove. I drove out your enemies. Not I'm going to. I gave. I'm not going to give you. I've already given it to you. I gave. It's an it's a, uh, accomplished message. It's the message of deliverance out of the hand of the Egyptians and the house of bondage. That's our message to sinners. God has already delivered you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our deliverance from sin, the, it's our deliverance from sin, the law, Satan, and self. And it's a message of free grace. God says, I gave you their land. God says, I am the Lord your God. God says, serve not the gods of the Amorites. And the gospel message is a message of conviction. God says, you've not always obeyed my voice. And the child of God takes sides with God against themselves and they agree with God. You're right. You're right, Lord. I have not obeyed your voice. Verse 10 reminds us that this is a message of divine revelation. God constantly reminds us in the preaching of the gospel that He is the Lord our God and He is our deliverer. There is none other. There is no other. And these redundant and repetitious acts of Israel remind us of our own propensity and inclination to sin. Do they not? They remind us again and again of the futility of man's will, man's work, and man's flesh, man's power. We have no power. We have no power to accomplish any facet of our salvation. Israel reminds us of our need of, and our continual need, I might add, of Christ. They remind us that our hope is in Him and in Him alone. Do you find any hope anywhere else? You won't. You won't. What in you gives you hope of redemption? Only Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. The only hope that we have of ever being glorified, being given a body without sin, is Christ in you. That's it. That's it. Israel reminds us that our enemies are but instruments in God's hand, as I've already said, to serve Him for our good. It's for our good. This was for Israel's good. 
and remind us that our depravity does not prevent God's mercy. <laughs> Isn't that, that's a great statement. Our depravity, our sin, does not prevent God's mercy to us. It's unearned, it's unmerited, it's undeserved. We don't deserve it. We see that when we call on God, we find Him right where we left Him. Why, why should that surprise us? He promised that He would never leave us nor forsake us. We're the ones that left. Beloved, this is why we've got to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It pleased God by the means of preaching to save those that believe. This is what we've got to hear. And we've got to hear it over and over and over again. Or we'll be just like Israel. Well, we are just like them. That's why we must. We must hear, but not with the outward ear only. We've got to hear with the heart. God's got to give our hearts ears to hear and understand. We've got to hear with some understanding. We must hear with a need. The Lord through the prophet Hosea said, My people are destroyed. That word means cut off. They're cut off for a lack of knowledge. But that's not all he said. He said, because they have rejected knowledge. Now you think about that. We're cut off because of a lack of knowledge, but the reason we have that lack of knowledge is that we rejected it. That tells me that it's not necessarily men and women's lack of knowledge that destroys them, but it's their lack of need of knowledge. Only those without need reject the deliverance that the Lord Jesus Christ provides. When I hear about the wondrous grace of God and the salvation of sinners, how the Christ, God the, Son of the, God the Son, came into the world to save sinners, shed His blood to put my sin away, I'm reminded of my great need, and I think that's the most wondrous Glorious gospel I've ever heard. Good news I've ever heard. That Christ would die for a wretch like me. How can it be as we saw? How can it be that God would die for a soul, a wretch like I am? And those who come not to the Lord to find rest are, and those who do not take His yoke upon them and learn of Him shall not find rest for their soul. And obviously they have no need of rest. Or they wouldn't reject it. They're resting in their own work, in their own will, in their own way. Those who are well, our Lord said, that means righteous in their own eyes. I'm doing okay on my own. I think I've got enough righteousness that God to be satisfied. No. You don't. You're well in your own eyes, but you're not well. You're sick. You're in need. Those who are well have no need of Christ, the great physician. But you can be assured that if you belong to God, <laughs> oh, He will as He did Israel. Cause you to cry out to Him for deliverance each and every time you go astray. Isn't that wonderful? In spite of me, God loves me. He loves even me. 
I love Him because He first loved me. We can't blame our evil on anyone but ourselves. But I'm telling you, we cannot credit anyone else for our deliverance but God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace to us. Uh, may you be pleased, Lord, to continue to deliver us from ourselves for your glory, our good, and for Christ's sake. I'm thankful for these studies, and I think I, by God's grace, I learned just a little bit more about myself and about my Lord and Savior when we look at them together. I hope it's the same for you.